Welcome to an enlightened hour of interactive talk. This is Guided Spirit Conversations with host Marla Goldberg. In this program, we spotlight guests from all over the globe who have helped others change their lives and will provide you with the tips, tools, and techniques that you need to help you make a difference in your own life. Now, here is Marla Goldberg. Hello, everyone. I'm Marla Goldberg, and I hope you're having a fabulous Thursday. I am doing something a little different today, and I'm really happy about what we're doing. I have back one of Guided Spirit Conversation's great friends, Allison Stillman, and Michael J. Brinken, and we are going to be talking about the planet, the environment. So Allison is an author, teacher, coach. She is an acclaimed aromatic alchemist. She's been a student of aromatherapy, alchemy, and spirituality for 40 years and has been deepening her connection to love her entire life. Her book, The Sacred Art of Anointing, was the first of its kind when it was published and continues to educate people about the ancient art of anointing. The Sacred Art of Anointing was admitted to the Harvard Divinity School Library as it is a deep exploration of the spiritual and religious use of essential oils throughout history and is a reference for awakening consciousness and deepening love. Allison has been featured in numerous books, including Love for No Reason by Marcy Shimoff, More Hot Chocolate for My Mystical Soul by Ariella Ford, and Insights from the Coffee House by Jonathan Collins. She has also been featured in magazines and on radio shows across the globe and as a speaker at global conferences and events. Allison has worked with people from around the world individually through private anointing rites of passage and mentoring as well as teaching at large events for over 30 years. She is dedicated to changing and empowering people through the gift of aromic alchemy. Allison has also been a legacy leader for the NRDC for 22 years and is part of the Nature Conservatory. So welcome, Allison. And let me talk to you about Michael. Michael Brinken and his team of good doers started the Eden Restoration Project just two short years ago with the goal of growing fresh local food on empty lots. Since then, they have put in almost two dozen gardens on almost 20 acres in the Chicagoland area. And in 2020, the ERP team launched the tasteofedenmarket.com, an online resource to get local fresh foods delivered directly to your door. And there's so much more to come. Welcome, Allison. Welcome, Michael. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you, Marla. Happy to be with everyone today. Thank you, Marla. Very excited. Pleasure. So I want to talk about everything you know, what you're doing separately, but also how it works together. And Allison, you are about to launch um, a, a big undertaking. And we were just talking about it off air. And it is, could you explain what with the NRDC and Al Gore? So those are actually two separate things. So the Natural Resources Defense Council is a, a uh, very prominent, effective, nonprofit organization with the largest law firms in the world uh, as members and on the board. And they take on litigation fighting for the environment. And so right now we currently have about 110 different lawsuits going against the current administration for trying to roll back protections on the environment. And so they're an organization that I always promote because they actually win (laughs) and they go up against billion dollar mining companies and the Navy and governments and they win because they have the top legal force in the world behind them. And they have a lot of grassroots members, which is where I started with them. And they're a very, very effective organization. So They're one of my champions that I work with. And then I also am involved. I'm a legacy member with the Nature Conservancy, which I've been a part of for a very, very long time. And they also protect and safeguard 
the natural environment all over the world. And they have beautiful projects preserving open spaces and forests. And, and I just recently moved to Tennessee and they just acquired a very large track. We have one of the largest tracks of wilderness in the Southeast. There's over 400,000 acres that have been safeguarded by the Nature Conservancy. So they're another really wonderful organization. But I've been an environmental advocate since I was the age of 18. And um, I recently, last year, did a climate reality training to become a climate reality leader with Al Gore up in Minneapolis. And I had, you know, known about climate change, but not really a huge advocate for educating about it. But after doing this training, I saw it is the number one issue we all need to be concerned with after I, I heard the scientific findings of where we are and what's happened. We're at a very critical juncture of being able to still turn it around. But if we don't take definitive actions as individuals and as a collective, to turn the current climate crisis around, we won't be here. <laughs> That's plain and simple. So this weekend, I'm starting, I've become a mentor for uh, the Climate Reality uh, Projects training that's happening for the first time virtually online. And that was started by Al Gore many, many years ago. And I think the last number that I recall, there's over 25,000 climate reality leaders that are educating people about the climate crisis. And we are doing an online training starting this weekend with Al and, and scientists and other presenters. And we have over 10,000 people from around the world that will be taking this training so that they can then go back into their communities and educate schools and churches and other organizations about where we are and what people can do to turn the current course around. So, Oh, that is amazing. And it's so needed. And now with the COVID, and the earth has started to do a little bit of healing for the planet. All that your, your efforts and the efforts of all these thousands of people that are participating. And now, Michael, you've got the Eden Restoration Project. And that's about growing food for, for people to be able to sustain and not be hungry. And I know when we talked on the Global Consciousness Summit, we were talking about if you grow your own food, you'll never be hungry. And so you start these these. Lot, these growth lots, what, is that a good way to call it? Lots for growing, farm lots? What do you call sure. it? Yeah, that's uh, just little mini micro food forests. Uh, we, we want people to be able to have access to food. And as we're seeing a lot, even with especially the, the meat and poultry industry, the supply chains are breaking down and it's going to get worse. And what are, is someone going to walk out and start eating the grass in their front lawn? It's not going to happen. We need to have more food everywhere. And it, it, it solves a lot of problems too, especially with a lot of things Allison uh, is talking about uh, is because if you're growing your food, you're not going to destroy your environment. It's just a part of the natural process. You want to see more food. You're going to sustain your environment that can sustain the food. Why would you destroy that? Why would you put a parking lot where you can grow food and eat and sustain yourself? And help the neighbors and help other people eat. Because it's more than a project, a singular project, it's a community project. Yeah, all of, all of our, our open lands, it's open to for free access to food and anybody wants to come and help, uh, even learn about growing food themselves. We use a, a method of deep wood chips that make it a lot easier. It's simpler. It's not the perfect way to grow food, but it is the lowest cost and uh, doesn't take a lot of tools to manage. Uh, so I think anybody can learn how to grow food this way. And, and we try to plant things. Yep. You don't have any GMOs. You don't have chemicals. You don't have, it's not stepped on. It's natural, right. pure food. Yep. And that's, and we, we don't want to use the chemicals. We don't, because honestly, that's stuff you ingest all the time. Uh, and, and there's a, there's a something else with when you're taking fresh food off a plant and you're eating it directly, there is a way different relationship with that food than if you're going to get it in a store that was picked 
three weeks ago and has been sitting on a shelf or picked way too early and it's been uh, decomposing, uh, sitting on the shelf. It may look pretty, but it has no nutritional value to it. And when you take a, a anything off a plant, a bean, a pepper, a tomato, and you get it right off the plant, you know the difference. And those that have done that, it's a hard for them to go back. It's an amazing project. So you're both, you know, both of these are so important for the environment, you know, and for people to sustain. So how do you work together? You're different kinds of organizations because you're doing a food forestry, Alice, and you're working with um, the, the big picture of acres and acres, acres of land. Would, I guess the question I have is, do you think that growing food in some of these forest areas might be a possibility and to help people or would it be considered um, not a possibility? Well, I think anything in life is possible, but more to Michael's point that if we all started growing food in our yards, we would cut down on a lot of carbon emissions into the atmosphere, which creates global warming. And if we do it organically, which, you know, is a big, big, big issue for me because I was poisoned by pesticides when I was 19. And so I've been organic since then and was um, one of, I had a landscaping business years and years ago because I've always been into plants and I was one of the first organic landscapers in Northern California years and years ago. And I'm a big proponent of it because what we're seeing now with the food, and Michael, you probably speak more to this too, the amount of GMO and spray and poisoning of our food system. We now have glyphosate, which is a premier ingredient in Roundup, which is a huge Monsanto bear now called Syngenta um, product. We all from overspray in our atmosphere have trace amounts of glyphosate in our bodies. Glyphosate is a cancer producing chemical, right? So we don't want to support buying those chemicals or using those chemicals on our grass, on our trees or anything, right? Let alone the food we ingest. So what we can control in our own environment has an impact on the buying from corporations, which has an impact on the direction that they move in the future, right? We, we can vote with our dollar and have an impact on creating more organic, more green cleaning, all those kinds of things, which make a difference on our atmosphere, but also on our personal health. And, and you can grow food in a very small amount of space. I put in, I have a little strip next to my driveway that's two feet wide by 30 feet long. I've got tomatoes, cucumbers, zucchini, squash in there. I've got all kinds of herbs growing in there. And it's just filled with edible plants, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a small little space, but it's crammed full of food. And if everybody did that, then it cuts down. It's not, it's not only just the food we're taking in, but it's the whole chain. Like Michael said, the supply chain, right? Mm -hmm. We're, we're, we're having an effect on the environment by those simple little activities that we do in our own little garden. So let's talk about how do we start a little garden? I know I started my first little garden after our conversation, and it's, a, you know, it's potted plants on a deck, but it's still bearing some food, and it, it's my first foray into it. So hopefully next year I can get bigger. But right now, I know my green beans I give to my dog, and he loves them. And I think there's a fresher taste to it as well. So, Michael, how do we how do we start a garden? Find a What's space. the easiest? <laughs> okay. Find a space with some dirt on it. I mean, you can't – well, some of the things we're trying out is you can put a, a garden on a parking lot. There's, there's nowhere that's not available my it drives my wife crazy we drive around all the time i go that would be a garden that could be a garden next week pull in there and uh there's no lack of room and space out there there's and there's everybody's got lawns everybody's got a backyard start with a small one start with a little eight by ten area that just put some put some paper over the grass you don't even have to till it in the ground you just put some of the construction paper or cardboard or something down over it put a little uh 
Uh, if you can get some organic, uh, either mushroom or leaf compost down and then put some wood chips over it and just put some seeds in, put some plants in the ground. There's no lack of farmer's markets where you can get plants. If you're in the Chicagoland area, you can buy them right on our website. Uh, but there's always, there's seeds companies all over the place. You just look up organic seeds. I think there's like 40 or 50 of them now that you can get a catalog and order some seeds, grow things you want to eat and just start. Don't be afraid of it. Uh, the, the One of the best things that we did was there's a, a film out there called the Back to Eden film that really shows how an easy, natural way to grow food. And it's free online. You can watch it either on YouTube or on their website. And they, they show you how to put the garden together. It's almost a tutorial. And, but it's, it's so easy. It's simple. You just got to get started and not be afraid of it. A lot of people either they, they're afraid to start a garden or they just don't know where to start. Honestly, you think about the foods you want to eat and the fresh foods you want to eat. You get some seeds and some plants and you put them in the ground and start. It's the simplest way to go. I'd love to add something to that, too, because it's a really important equation in, in uh, slowing down the warming of our atmosphere. And that is composting your green waste. So you can go to usually your municipal metro district. And they have these small little backyard composters. I bought one for $40. And I put all of my green waste, my leaves, um, weeds that I pull into that compost bin, create fertilizer and compost for my garden. And that's another great way to cut down on the methane that gets released when you put your green kitchen waste in the trash because it takes so long to break down in the in the dumps and it's creating a massive amount of carbon and and methane in the atmosphere so if you just compost in your backyard all of your green waste no meats go in there but all of your green waste you'll cut down on methane and carbon in the atmosphere you'll fertilize your plants really well and you'll create beautiful soil for your garden so i just had to throw that in there so i have to ask a question since i've never composted how long does it take I mean, when you're throwing your things into the compost bin, what kind of time frame before it actually turns into fertilizer? It depends. You can get uh, compost starters that will actually speed the process up faster. There's lots of tutorials online about composting. You want to make sure it stays wet, you know, it stays damp so that the composting procedure goes that much faster. But I started it back in November and... I'm probably another month or two away from being able to start drawing compost out of it. So it's like maybe nine, 10 months, something like that. It it depends. It depends on what all you put in there there. and how much you turn it and water it and really tend it. But again, you can find all that information online. There's a lot of information about composting online. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to break. We're going to take our break. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Please stay tuned as we're talking with Allison Stillman and Michael J. Brinkin. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you find that your journey to loving yourself is taking a long time? Here's your shortcut. Read Marla Goldberg's book, My Fucking Long Journey to Loving Myself, A Guide to a Shorter Path to Learn to Live a More Self-Loving Life. Order on Amazon or MarlaGoldberg.com. That's Marla, G-O-L-D-B-E-R-R-G.com. Have you ever wanted to scream, but you couldn't because of all the people who might hear you? Now, we have your answer. The original Scream Pillow. It can be used at work, the bathroom, in the closet, or anywhere you want to scream and not have everyone know what you're screaming about. Order yours today at MarlaGoldberg.com. That's Marla, G-O-L-D-B-E-R-R-G.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com
You are listening to Guided Spirit Conversations. To reach Marla Goldberg or her guest today, you're invited to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, the address is guidedspiritconversations at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Marla Goldberg. And if you're just tuning in, we're having a different kind of conversation because we're talking environmental today. And my guests are Allison Stillman, who is an author, an alchemist, an aromatic alchemist, a coach, a teacher. She is a legacy leader for the NRDC and has been a part of the Nature Conservatory, their grassroots effort. And in addition, we have Michael J. Brinken. And Michael has started the Eden Restoration Project in the Chicagoland area two, two years ago. And we're talking about his re- that and his recent opening of the Taste of Eden Market. So welcome back, Michael and Allison. Thank you. Thank you. I think Michael froze again or got bombed or having, something. Having a little sure. issue, technical were- issues today. <laughs> I know, yeah. I was just mentioning Mercury retrograde and how it seems to be affecting me, but it seems yeah. to be affecting Michael too. <laughs> so. Yeah, and he, he was so good in the beginning. He was great. I was the one who was terrible, but hopefully yeah. he'll come back and everything will equal out. Spirit will like step in and do that. Yeah. So let's talk about, let's talk about more about the global consciousness, um, global consciousness, sorry, the global warming and the environmental issues that are really Let's talk about what's, what the big ones are that are plaguing us and, and solutions to how we can start taking efforts to solve them on, as an individual and possibly groups to get involved in. Yes. So I actually am a uh, what we call a climate refugee. So I am a direct hit on the, cli- re- the changing climate and the rising temperatures. So I lived in California. I've been in California for most of my life. Um, And I started noticing that I was living in a small town called Ojai in Southern California. And we started having more and more drought, stage four drought alerts. And the lake started disappearing, which sources the water for the county in which I lived. And And I noticed that I think this was my big telltale that got me to move to Northern California was did a drive from Southern to Northern California. And I started counting all the 200 to 300 year old oak trees that had fallen over dead. And I counted over 250 trees on my six hour drive. And the interesting thing about that is, is that oak trees, California live oaks, their taproot goes down two to 300 feet. And that's how they survive such dry climate as California. So that means that the aquifers and the water tables have disappeared 300 feet below the surface of the earth. So you're not even seeing the effect of drought in California unless you really look at those signs. And I went, okay, this is serious. Now, the largest aquifer in Central Valley in California, which is where 75% of the food in the country is grown, has dried up. And two of the towns in the Central Valley of California have actually sunk because there is no water underneath there anymore. People aren't paying attention to these signs. There's large corporations now and and, uh, private individuals that are going in and buying aquifers. They're buying large tracts of land that have aquifers underneath and they're tapping into those aquifers to sell their water privately. We're privatizing water in major cities across the country around the world, right? Water is a big issue. So I thought, okay, I'm going to move to Northern California because at least it gets a little bit of rain. So I moved to California. I'm there for six months and my neighborhood got burned out in the fires. Fires like I have never seen in my life. Now, you know, I've been around on the planet for a long time, and I've been through wildfires before living in California. You do. I've never seen fires like what are happening now. 
for uh, 10,000 structures were burned in that fire. And I said, okay, I need to move where there's more water. I got chased out by fire. That same year, I had friends lose homes in Ventura, Ojai, Santa Barbara. I had a friend lose her life in the mudslides, which are a direct result of climate change, atmospheric rivers that are being created by climate change. And so the two main things that we really want to preserve are water and food. Thank you, Michael, for the work that you're doing. And so we really want to look at how can we conserve water. So turning our lawns into edible landscapes actually conserves water. Lawns are some of the biggest consumers of water and pesticides in the entire country. So if we can dig up those lawns, in all my years, wherever I've moved, I never have lawns because they're major consumers of water. And so if we take that out, we start growing food or, or ornamentals that are native to those areas that don't require so much water, we're actually creating a big difference in the environment. But then also we're growing our own food and we're not, or we're not consuming as much water. So that's all really big issues for the environment, but also making the world more plentiful in our food source because food scarcity is a really, really big deal in the world. So it's it's huge, and as Michael, I'd like I'd like you to talk about the the food um, scarcity and how doing projects like Eden Restoration Project can help all these neighborhoods, these people who cannot feed, cannot afford to feed their children. But I know we've had a conversation with yes, you can because you can get these seeds, grow these plants, and I'd like you to talk more about that if you would, please. You're muted. Sorry about that. <laughs> Somebody says you gotta you gotta be able to good, be good with technology to plant food. So, uh, so one of the things that we came across in in uh, we were working in North Chicago and Waukegan in northern Illinois, which is uh, both considered fairly inaccessible as, as far as fresh food. There, I've heard the term food desert, which I find ridiculous uh, because I, I've been in the desert. You can grow lots of food in the Midwest. This is crazy. Uh, but a lot of people here rent, so they don't own their own places. So that was one of the things that we said, okay, what if we got public lots that people could share in and, and grow food? Uh, a lot of it just came from just trying to answer these questions and saying, okay, why, why aren't people growing food? One was, I don't own my property. I'm not tearing up the grass because the owner doesn't tell me that way. Uh, so there is has to be a lot of education. Uh, to, to Allison's point is we have to teach people that a different way of thinking. And it has to be very public and very open and in the atmosphere all the time because what what kids have heard for the last 20 years is that farmers are uh, beneath everybody and that it's really hard work and that growing food sucks. And that's what school's been teaching kids. Uh, right. Just you got 12, 14, 16 years class and they, never once do you put a seed in the ground. Uh, you might put it in a little Dixie cup and take it home and then you know forget to water it and have it dry out on you. But that's not growing food. We have football fields and baseball fields and soccer fields on these on these schools where kids are getting concussions and broken legs and and torn knees and ligaments and joints. But we can't put a garden in. I mean, this is ridiculous. It's it's a systematic problem. It has to be addressed everywhere. And the only way we're going to get it is if we get food in everybody's face. And that's kind of where the standpoint we took it. Like we have this area that doesn't even have a decent grocery store everybody here is either shopping at the food pantry or they're shopping at a convenience store neither which is any good and so we said let's just get in everybody's face we're going to grow food everywhere and when there's enough food around then it's going to affect their judgment it's going to it, it's going to take a, a new view of what a city can do and uh, the city's been on board with it since day one and so we just keep putting out gardens, getting more people out to our gardens to teach them, say, look, this doesn't have to be complicated. And as Allison mentioned, a lot of the problems we have with farming today is irrigation. They are wasting so much water. There's a, there's a wonderful gentleman named Gabe Brown in, I think it's South Dakota, that he goes around the country teaching about you don't have to use so much water if you have enough organic material in the soil. 
and he's growing eight, nine, ten crops per acre instead of the mono crop mentality that we have today. And and he doesn't do that much watering, and his uh, land doesn't flood out like all of Illinois and Iowa when we have a wet season. Uh, the problem with the constant tilling and, and ripping up of the soil is that it dries out and it becomes hard and compact. And that's why when we have a rainy season, all these farms are flooding. And then we don't have food again. And then the government's bailing them out. And it's it's a nonsense system we have. Oh, uh, just uh, And we'll keep perpetuating it. It's a crazy cycle. So yeah, let me ask you a question, Michael. Um, and I don't know if you've, you're starting to do this or you haven't done it, but going into schools and talking to um, the administrators and seeing if you could put on, uh, what do they call it, uh, but, but, you know, get them into the auditorium and teach them how about planting their own food and seeing, talking to the administration about getting some land and showing the children how they can make their own food so that they're never hungry. I think Allison might have uh, something on that. I do want to say something to that. There's a couple things that I want to say. I think this is such an important conversation because what I was saying earlier about the Central Valley being so impacted, this is an aquifer that took 250,000 years to fill up that's gone. We're not going to see it replenish. 75% of the food grown for the United States grows in that Central Valley. The writing's on the wall as to when we're actually going to have to have food come from other sources, right? So this whole notion of teaching kids about where their food comes from. I have a really good friend in Southern California who started a program that does exactly that, that Michael, maybe Marla can connect us and I'll connect you with this woman. She goes into schools and takes them to organic farms and sometimes other farms and shows them the whole process of what it takes from seed to table. And when we start educating the children, they're our future and they're our hope for the future. And so we want to guide them in that direction because we're going to need to have more food growing outside of the Central Valley of California, which is going into massive drought. The temperatures are rising, which is what's creating these massive forest fires and fires that I experience and these 250-year-old oak trees falling over dead. That hasn't happened before, right? So there's our evidence. Um, and and to just one other thing that I want to say about that too is, is that these kinds of programs are essential for our future. So I just want to say thank you, Michael, to doing this because this is a, a great precedent and a great example of what can happen. And then one more thing, and then I'm going to give that back to no, you, Michael, is that um, one of the big things that uh, Al Gore talks about as a solution, and he's actually, he has a 400 acre farm here in Tennessee, and he is creating a prototype. And there's a lot of farmers that are talking about this across the country right now, and it's regenerative farming. And so it's a different type of farming that what's been done in the past of the tilling, and then all kinds of dust flies off, and we're losing the topsoil, and we're not capturing all and keeping all those healthy components for a really healthy soil. So regenerative farming, they've also discovered, captures a lot of carbon from the atmosphere. And he just actually had scientists here last year, I'm going to find out in this training, how much carbon gets captured in a regenerative farm as as opposed to a, a conventional farm. So there's a lot of people that are moving in the direction of creating healthy farming, organic farming, and doing things like what Michael's doing. So I just wanted to share that as because it's a really it's it, it's so essential for our future. I do Absolutely. have one quick question. When, I'm sorry, Michael. Just give me one question nope. to Allison. Um, a lot of the drought. Does anything? Does any of that have to do with fracking? With these companies fracking materials out of the earth? Yes. Okay. I think that's important to bring up because, you know, I, I only learned about fracking relatively recently. And so I'm assuming that if some, there, there are many people like me out there that are now being, are hearing the word fracking. And I think it had to do with South Dakota and um, what they were trying to do with that pipeline. So 
I know a lot about this because they did fracking in California and I, I, I attended a lot of different um, congressional hearings and met with senators and things about fracking. So fracking, the biggest problem with fracking is that they're sucking out the lubricant of the soil. So we're seeing a lot more earthquakes, a lot more drought. And more importantly, the chemicals that they use to extract the oil and gas from what they're pulling out of the earth goes into the waterways and millions and millions of gallons of tainted water enter into waterways. And so the little bit of water that you have is getting polluted, right? And they don't talk very much about that. The number one thing that we all have to move towards in order for us to survive this climate crisis is divesting of fossil fuels. It is the number one issue at hand. And right now, and this will be the last thing that I say around this, right now, oil and gas is subsidized to the tune of trillions and trillions of dollars. And if we took all that money, those subsidies, and we transferred it into green, clean technology, we could build the entire infrastructure for all power in the United States. We could retrain all of the workers that work in the oil and gas industry, and we could pay all the health benefits for the indigenous and underprivileged populations that bear the expense and health cost of living at the effect of these chemicals in the coal and gas and oil extraction, and we'd have money left over. That's powerful. That is a very powerful statement. We're going to mull on that while we take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking more with Allison Stillman and Michael J. Brankin. Hang on. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Do you find that your journey to loving yourself is taking a fucking long time? Here's your shortcut. Read Marla Goldberg's book, My Fucking Long Journey to Loving Myself, A Guide to a Shorter Path to Learn to Live a More Self-Loving Life. Order on Amazon or MarlaGoldberg.com. That's Marla, G-O-L-D-B-E-R-R-G.com. Have you ever wanted to scream, but you couldn't because of all the people who might hear you? Now, we have your answer. The original Scream Pillow. It can be used at work, the bathroom, in the closet, or anywhere you want to scream and not have everyone know what you're screaming about. Order yours today at MarlaGoldberg.com. That's Marla, G-O-L-D-B-E-R-R-G.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. You are listening to Guided Spirit Conversations. To reach Marla Goldberg or her guest today, you're invited to call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. If you'd rather send an email, the address is guidedspiritconversations at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Thank you for sticking around because this is a great conversation. If you're just joining us, I have Allison Stillman, who is an author, teacher, coach, acclaimed aromatic alchemist. She is also a legacy leader for the NRDC, and she is a grassroots member of the Nature Con- and Con- is it, Am I saying this correctly? The Nature Conservatory? Conservancy. 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 Thank yeah. you. Yeah. So, and you can reach Allie, Allison at Allie, A-L-E-E, at AllisonStillman.com if you want to write to her. Uh, at Facebook, it's Alchemist Allison Stillman. LinkedIn is Allison-Stillman. And on Instagram, you've got Allison Stillman, one word. Don't put in one word. 
It is one word. Okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure we're clear about that. And we also have Michael J. Franken. And Michael has started the Eden Restoration Project and Taste of Eden Market in the Chicagoland area, but his message is powerful. And to reach Michael or check out Eden Restoration Project, it's Eden, E-D-E-N, restorationproject.org. You can check out www.tasteofedenmarket.com. And if you'd like to reach out to Michael directly, you can email him at michael at edenrestorationproject.org. Now, this is charity shout-out time. They each have a charity. I know it's going to be surprising to find out what they are, but I know Michael's <laughs> is the Eden Restoration Project, and Allison's is the NRDC. So, Michael, why don't you tell us about your Eden Restoration, how people can help by supporting Eden Restoration Project. Certainly, certainly. Uh, the Eden Restoration Project uh, is a group of volunteers and well-meaning folks that decided that growing food was kind of important. Uh, you know, outside of oxygen, can't do much about it in the air, except plant more trees. Uh, you go water that falls out of the sky. So those things were a little bit harder for us to control, but we could grow food. And uh, so we started taking over just empty lots in, in the North Chicago, Waukegan area and putting food on it uh, and growing food for easy access for the neighborhood people to, uh, to come get food whenever they need it. And so we obviously need uh, gas to put in the cars and the, in the tractors and rent equipment once in a while, uh, seed money for trees. That'd be, that'd be fantastic. Uh, or if you just want to come out and help out, uh, we're, we're very happy having people that just want to man a shovel. And if you go to our Eden Restoration Project.org website, we have a Find Us page, and we routinely list of where we're at and where we're volunteering and what sites we're going to be at on which days. And uh, we're out there, and come, come visit us. And what I want to put out there to the audience is if you're interested in learning how to do this in your community, reach out to Michael, and he will help give you you know, his outline so you can do this in your community and start bringing down hunger in your area. Yeah, and it's, not, it's not difficult. It's not, but you've, you've got a, you've got a down pad. So there are many people who say, yeah, that's a great idea, but I have nowhere to, I don't know how to start it. I don't know where to start. I don't know how to get the land. So maybe, you know, they can contact you. You can share what you've done. And who sure. knows what can grow from there? No pun intended. And <laughs> Allison, the NRDC, let's talk about that and how everyone can help with the NRDC. So uh, the best way is to become a grassroots uh, uh, member, which means you just go to NRDC, and that's Natural Resources Defense Council, so nrdc.org, and sign up to become a grassroots member. And you give what you can whenever you can because every little bit helps. I think they're up to about three and a half million people. In the, and, and if everybody gave $5, you know, that's a big, big nut for, for them to go out and fight the, the good battles and, and win for the environment and our future. And, you know, these are very different ways, but they, they're equally impactful. What Michael's doing is so important for the future of food. We, we, we suffer so much with food scarcity around the world. And it, it's, you know, that, that quote, never forget that a small group of people can make significant change in the world, you know. And it starts yeah. out small. It's like the example I was giving how to vote with your dollar and create change, right? What you pay for in the market actually has an impact with the corporation. So, so uh, third, uh, third generation, seventh generation, excuse me, seventh generation cleaning products, green cleaning products, right? When they first started, they were a small little company, but more and more people with the rise in cancer and all kinds of conditions that are happening in our population, we have to look at what we're putting into our environment. Why would you spray toxic chemicals in your house with your young children, right? Why would you not be using green cleaning products that aren't going to impact and in, increase the likelihood of your child getting cancer, right? There's so many right. So you start small where you can. And that's, you know, to Michael's, Michael's um, work that he's doing. He's one guy, 
who got more people to work with him, who has volunteers. And if we spread that around the country, we could be feeding a lot of people that can't afford food. We'd help with food scarcity. And if you, when you go to the market, instead of buying the, you know, the Tide or the whatever that has toxic consequences, you start buying the, the products that are green and clean that aren't going to impact your children, your pets, your health. And that has an impact on the bottom line of the corporation. As I had, had shared when we were on break, Procter & Gamble and Johnson & Johnson started getting hit when seventh generation captured 25% of the market share of, of cleaning products. And they Which went, is huge. wait, where's all the, our, our shareholders are going, wait, where's our profits? What's happening, right? And they said, oh, we need to move in that direction, right? So they started making their green, clean products. So we when we we have so much power in our buying decisions what we what we buy with our dollar right so i always say vote with our dollar and the other part of that which i want to bring into this conversation because i think it's important who you're voting for your senators your congressmen the people that you're putting into power you need to be really careful back the people who are backing the environment because this is not just for you, but it's for your children, your children's children. If you want them to have a life that's sustainable and healthy, do something about it. Don't, you know, I hope this is motivating for people to really take action. It's time to put people before profits. Yes, because with people, you can have profits. If you kill off all your people, then... You know, what profits are there going to be? And then you know, I go to COVID because all of these rallies and things that are going on without masks and now you're seeing everything spiking. Well, guess what? Again, if you're not, you know, if you're not taking care of yourself and being considerate of other people, you're not going to have a lot behind you anyway because they're going to die or get sick and, and we don't want that. No, you don't. I got it. You don't want it. Trust no. me. <laughs> no, I don't. And I know Michael doesn't either. So it's a unanimous panel here today. Nobody <laughs> wants illness. Nobody wants, you know, devastation. We want a healthy environment, which is what we grew up with. It was so much healthier back then than it is today. And you can get sweet stuff. You don't have to eat all the processed foods. You can actually get naturally sweet uh, satating desserts for people with those giant sweet tooth through your fruit. Um, I've learned that dates are incredibly sweet and they're natural, organic dates. So you can give up the cookies and the cakes and, you know, the ice cream. I know I'm not going to be popular for saying this, but, you know, and go for natural desserts, so to speak. I just needed to talk to the dessert hound since I had a bakery in the can of manufacturing business. I have to throw that in. <laughs> <laughs> so going back to our conversation of what we can do, solutions. I just would love to have this last little bit about throwing out solutions of, you know, we can grow our food. You, Allison, you threw out a lot of things. I think politically there are solutions. We talked about a little bit. I don't know if there's any more than what was that I just mentioned, but let's, let's just throw it out there. So I have another one that I would love to just share and then I'll turn it over to Michael. Um, Single use plastic. That's one of the biggest, I'm a, I'm a big mermaid. I swim with wild dolphins and whales and take people to swim with wild dolphins. And what's happening in our oceans is atrocious and it's all single use plastic. It takes forever. A, a, a plastic water bottle takes 150 years to break down in the dump. So why are we not? Why are we not bringing canvas bags to the grocery store? Why are we not using other means of wrapping our food? There's great um, uh, cloth wrapped in beeswax that you can use instead of plastic wrap. Stop using those plastic bottles that, you know, don't buy anything in plastic. We don't need it. Just buy your food fresh. Bring it home in your canvas bag, you know, put it in a canvas bag or a muslin bag in the refrigerator. There's a lot of alternatives to plastic, but single-use plastic is a huge, huge environmental nightmare. So. Thank you for that, Michael. 
uh, one of our current projects ties right into what Allison is saying, our Taste of Eden Market. We go pick up from the farms. We deliver right to your door. So if you live in the Chicagoland area, you can't get any fresher than the farm picking it itself. So, and uh, you don't have to worry about all those plastics either. We use paper. Perfect. That is wonderful. Allison, Michael, thank you so much for being on and sharing this really important message to everybody. And I'm going to, I know we're going to have, we're going to have you back for another round of this because it's important. And I think that it's, it, you know, we need to do our part, you know, myself included, and, and do the things that we can do to change and shift and make this environment healthy and prosperous. And I'm not talking about financially prosperous. I'm talking about forestry, fish, the waterways, food, the whole thing. So thank you very much again for being on and sharing. And I'm going to invite you both back again. I want to thank Voice America and everybody at the station who helps me get the show on the road and, and get it out to you. Thank you. I want to thank Bridget and Teresa, my assistants, for also helping me to get the show on the road. Don't know what I'd do without you. I want to thank you, the listening audience, for taking time out of your day, out of your life, to be a part of the show. And if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please email me at marla at mghealer.com or you can write to me at guidedspiritconversations at gmail.com. And before I end, I do want to please, please ask you to please wear your masks. Please be socially considerate. You know, we're talking about social safety in a, in a sense. Please be thoughtful of somebody else who, by wearing your mask. Be thoughtful of yourself so you don't get this because this virus is not fun. It is brutal. And we all need to work together as a team to bring the numbers down so we could get our life back to the kind of normal we want to have with gatherings and, you know, social activities. So, okay, I'm getting off now. <laughs> I'm going to say, I know I can go on and on about this because it really makes a difference to the, to the environment and to the people. So health, be considerate. Pay attention to the health. So until next week, I'm sending you love, blessings, and gratitude. Thank you so much. 